Thank you all for joining XR Room. I'm your host Eddie Avil. Today I have with me Jimmy Alamparabil. He is an augmented reality software architect and expert on mobile AR platforms. He is a full stack mobile development team leader and technical expert in app stores. He he's been a game developer and has worked on franchises like Medal of Honor, GoldenEye, CNC, CSI, NCIS, Spartacus, and the list goes on. He's also the author of Unity AR and VR by Tutorials. first edition and he is the man behind the unity ar kit plugin and unity ar kit uh, remote integration and has been part of companies such as jam city ubisoft electronic arts unity technologies magically and is currently the senior computer scientist at adobe uh jimmy it's a pleasure and honor to have you on xro podcast really appreciate you taking the time to be part of the show so you've been part of some really really cool companies so can you start by sharing your background and journey in the ar vr field uh sure i mean thank you very much for that awesome introduction uh you covered pretty much a lot most of everything I, <laughs> of what i've done uh you give a pretty uh, like good summary of my kind of uh career I originally started in graphics back in the day at ATI. Um so I was very interested in graphics and I think I was interested in games before that. So <laughs> games uh I started working on Commodore 64s when I was a kid and started trying to get like you know all these sprites going and stuff like that. So graphics was a main main focus of that uh, uh endeavor and then when I I started working at ATI and then from there I progressed to working at Uh, actual game companies and working on games so even before i started in games uh back in 95 i had like my first kind of vr experience uh if you think about like the sega playdium like uh in in canada they had this um kind of like amusement park sort of place where you would have like this vr headset that you would put on and then you there would be another person who has a vr headset as well uh kind of a bit far away from you and you're both in this shared uh world where you're tr- kind of fighting against each other uh, with lasers and stuff like that so and the world itself was very like it wasn't very realistic it was all like polygonal like you know if you if you remember back in the day it was like just uh you know kind of single color polygons that were trying to emulate what a 3D model would look like uh but it captured the essence of what spatial computing is is essentially you are immersed in this world and you are able to kind of uh, navigate it um it's not like you know watch watching a flat screen like watching a projection on a flat screen it's more like you are within that world and you're kind of traveling within it so that already gives me that that feeling of uh, being immersed in some uh, uh different world so um if you fast forward to like uh being at ubisoft i'm working at ubisoft working on a i was a technology director there working on a bunch of games uh, i was helping a lot of third party developers to uh create games for uh ubisoft and uh published it some of the early technologies that came by there were things like you know the rift and the and the oculus and that, that kind of stuff uh we get we got early looks at those kind of um devices and that kind of also sparked more of an interest in that in those areas like the VR um headsets that first came out i was also interested in the AR world because 
maybe even more interested in the AR world. I think mainly because um, it felt like, like when I was looking at VR, um, I think part of it is that I was a bit, um, uh, I, I liked the immersiveness of it, but it was, you, you never get the full realism of that immersivity, right? Um, so I, I really liked AR in, in the fact that most of the, you're basically looking at the real world and you're just looking at small augmentations of that real world. And that gives you a more, uh, in, a, in a sense, it kind of gives you even more immersivity because you can kind of, um, you know, choose to believe that that small part is real rather than trying to imagine this whole virtual thing being real, right? So if you can imagine the small part of this real world uh, augmentation being real, then that kind of allows you to kind of forget the rest of the, <laughs> the fakeness and just say, hey, this is, this is actually something that exists here. So, um, I mean, I started experimenting with AR toolkit back in the day, you know, before it was, uh, it was even a, like a, a thing that people did. It was just like, <laughs> you know, they had like these, um, uh, the image markers essentially uh, of that day. And you, you were able to get a basic kind of AR experience going um, on your desktop, which is, which is pretty exciting at the time. And then eventually moved to working on the game engines like Unity Engine. And so I worked at Unity for a bit. And when I joined Unity, I had this uh, idea of uh, working in AR and VR. Uh, and I got an opportunity really early on when I, uh, as soon as I joined, um, when uh, Apple kind of tapped Unity to write the um, Unity ARKit plugin for them. Uh, and so this was before ARKit was released. Um, and uh, they, they hadn't announced it yet, uh, but they had gotten a bunch of developers in-house uh, that they thought would be able to provide good content for ARKit. Uh, so it turns out that most of those developers were using Unity to create content. And so uh, it was, it was kind of like um, a no-brainer for them to get Unity to help provide this plugin that would help uh, Unity developers to quickly get up to speed on AR. Um, so that was essentially me and two other people essentially went into the Apple labs and created this plugin. And then we went on to support it for the you know, next basically year and a half, um, helping like every, all the developers, first of all, to get familiar with um, so the, the thing with the Unity ARKit plugin was it wasn't just an API, uh, like a C-sharp API for ARKit. It was more, uh, there was the C-sharp API, but there's also all these uh, game objects and like Unity kind of Unityisms on top of it, right? That would al allow and help developers who are, who are good Unity developers to easily create ARKit apps. If you look at the first uh, year of ARKit, uh, maybe 80 to 90% of the ARKit games that were on the App Store were made with that Unity plugin. Wow. So it was pretty, it was pretty successful. Um, a funny story about that was um, I'd put in this, I'd put in this uh, 
uh, debug texture in there, which was like a, a blue rectangle. Yeah. And it was just a, a placeholder. Uh, and I figured that anyone who was going to use this would now change this blue rectangle to show some kind of surface. So this was the surface. When you detected the plane, that's what it would draw. So anyone could replace that rectangle uh, with whatever texture they wanted. Um, but it turns out that no one really bothered to change that rectangle texture. So anytime you watched an AR kit, AR kit uh, game demo, you could see this blue rectangle on there. And I was like, wow, that, that uh, already identified that <laughs> it was like a Unity AR kit plugin product thing. So it was, it was pretty funny. That was easy, easily um, recognizable. But it, I think it was basically because we made it so easy for people to do that. Some people didn't even bother changing any of the assets, right? So it was that, it was that easy. And also, it, I think, allowed people who are really very technical to get a handle on how to create um, these kind of AR apps. Um, and that has been kind of like my, my call all this time is trying to, trying to make um, these kind of tools that can help almost anyone create. The, the more general purpose the tool is, or the more uh, you, like, the less technical the tool is, you know, the less complex it is. Uh, how, easy, how can you make it really easy for people to start creating AR content, right? And that's right. been driving me for the last few years, trying to figure out, hey, how do we make things easier to use? Lovely, uh, lovely, lovely, lovely. How cool is that, Jimmy? I mean, you, you've <laughs> obviously gone through like, I mean, so much. And thank you because it, it feels so good that an Indian has been part of making life easier for all those ARVR developers around the world, you know. And I'm super excited about uh, immersive technology. And that's the reason I, I'm invested in it uh, since 2016 and driving this ecosystem because I firmly and strongly believe that in this decade itself, we going to have a wearable device, maybe as light as this, which is going to converge our computer and our mobiles into this. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm super, super excited about that. So, so virtual reality, virtual reality obviously got, you know, into the public attention thanks to Facebook, right? AR and MR, obviously Magic Leap uh, was, was the main company which, which, which drove the attention, you know, because there was this 4 billion funding, but somehow there was a prototype also, a product which was uh, lacking. So from, from an outside perspective, you know, they had everything going on. You guys, you were part of Magic Leap, there was a great team, great vision, but currently, they are looking like they are heading towards the same fate uh, as the general magic company, right? So uh, from someone who was an insider, what do you think went wrong with Magic Leap? Uh, I joined in November 2019 um, because I, was, I really believed in... So for me, uh, I think AR is... Um, AR uh, is kind of like a kind of a means to an end. It's not the end itself, right? Like AR and VR. I think uh, the end is actually the, um, like the kind of the ubiquitousness of spatial computing, if you will. So just having uh, everything uh, 
be associated with a, a, a location, a spatial location or a spatial uh, coordinate system, right? Um, I think that that is going to be uh, the future, right? So uh, what are you talking about where you're saying everything is going to converge? I think it makes sense as far as uh, here is, uh, you want everything to be spatial, right? Like all your computing to be spatial, everything. You should be able to control anything in the world with your, with your mind, essentially, right? So part of the challenge there is when, when you have, for example, an AR headset um, and you're looking around, you, you have the limitation of what the AR headset can see as being the context in which it can react, right? So if you want to interact with the world with just the AR headset, that means you only see the limit, like it only sees the limit of what that AR headset can detect. So what I'm thinking, and a lot of different people are thinking this way as well, is the concept of a, of a metaverse or a, like Magic Leap called it the magic verse, right? right? And um, other people call it uh, other things, right? Like the mirror world or that kind of thing. That concept is the fact that you are able to um, provide the context of the world, right? It's not just the stuff that you detect using the Magic Leap headset. It's like things that exist in the world, you know, the, the sensor of the world, essentially. So you are able to create, uh, figure out the context of the world and then react to it accordingly based on uh, what information you have about the world. So if, you can, if it was just the thing that the Magic Leap device detected, then it would be like a subset of that, the, the context around you. But if, for example, you had, uh, you had already, you had already scanned this whole location and it figured out all the interesting points, or you had sensors, let's say traffic lights or security cameras, and all those were like integrated into one holistic system, which could give you a context of any particular location in the world and, and the things that you could do there and the things you could interact with and allow you to do those interactions, right? That is probably what is going to become like the interesting part of spatial computing as we move forward, right? So that is what I was interested in. And that's the reason I moved to Magic Leap was they had a vision of something like that with Magicverse. And I was helping to bring that vision to developers again, trying to get, so I was working on the Magicverse SDK. I was the principal engineer on that, trying to get people trying to get the Magicverse SDK down to the level that regular people could access it and make Magicverse um, uh, like experiences with it, right? So unfortunately, I think they just, I'm not sure what went wrong or what changed. Um, I mean, the pandemic probably affected this as well, uh, but their focus changed to be more of an enterprise focus. And there's probably some elements of the magic were still needed, but that ubiquitousness or the thing that any person could actually, you know, 
access the magic first and interact with it. That's that's the dream I was going for, and that was not something that they want. They were still pursuing, right? So that's uh, that's uh, probably a, a reason that you know that didn't work out for me, right? <laughs> but on the whole, I think um, there's there's still. I mean, that's that's still a dream for me, and I think it's still going to happen. Um, it depends on. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to come together to make that happen. Uh, so we don't know who's actually going to, um, maybe it's not just one person or one company that's going to actually make this work. Right. I think actually I have, I, I have no doubt to make the, something like this work, you have to have some sort of interoperability between different, different technologies and, uh, being able to collaborate with a bunch of different companies to come up with this this concept and make it work, you know, throughout the world, kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think you know interoperability is, is going to be such a such a big thing. But you know, at this point in time, everybody is in a wall garden. Everybody is in working in silos, doing their own thing. Somehow, yeah. I feel that you know, rather than these big companies who are so heavily vested in ARBR MR, there could be these, these small developers who's working from their garages, maybe they, because they don't have any hierarchy, you know, they don't have 10 people sitting on their head or 100 people sitting on their head and saying, okay, do this, you know, this, you know, they, they, they are just going for it and possibly they could be the ones who could uh, create the, the framework or, or for the, 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 the spatial computing. So, so uh, coming back to Magic Leap, you, you said, you know, I mean, they pivoted to uh, a, a, a being an enterprise fo- focus. So do you think AR, VR, MR is uh, consumer ready at this point of time? From my perspective, so far, there, there are a lot of challenges uh, with, with the technology itself, uh, the, the price points, the issues with the technologies. Are we consumer ready at this point in time and what has changed post the the pandemic i think apple did a good thing as far as making ar ubiquitous by using ar kit and google followed suit uh, and in fact actually that more than 2 billion devices right right actually um, do mobile ar so that is already a big thing right consumers have in their hands the ability to do ar whether it is, I mean, it may not be the, the kind of AR that we, we would like to have, but at least it is some form of AR. And so I think what Apple did there was make it familiar to consumers. Consumers don't, you know, turn around one day and just immediately kind of adopt a new technology all of a sudden. But if you, even if you look at just mobile AR, there's so much stuff happening there um, already. Uh, Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok, I think, is also going to do something like that. So basically, there's AR in all those in all those um, apps, right? So and and Apple have come out with their you know their own like AR Quick Looks and the USDZ uh, format, and you know they've. They and then uh, Google has its own like Google Maps with with AR built in kind of thing and, and Niantic has their their like Pokemon Go and uh, AR related like they have their own like platform based on 
that you know technology as well. So in a way, there, there are lots of people already doing this kind of consumer work, um, even though it's not like the form maybe that, uh, that we would like it to be. I have a Twitter feed. All I do in the Twitter feed is just retweet or show examples of people using AR in strange and beautiful ways. And even if it's the simplest thing, sometimes even a simple thing, the important thing is people are trying things out. People are, are getting familiar with spatial computing. People are seeing new experiences and experiencing new experiences. So that's, that's going to give them you know, the confidence to try new things. You want to make it possible for as many people as possible to do something in AR, create experiences, or even just get ideas and be able to make those ideas work. You know, you have to make it available to as many people as possible. And someone, you know, is going to make that next big idea, right? So it may not be someone in, the, in a big company. It may be someone just, um, you know, out in the field. The, the main thing is, People who are like engineering centric may not be like the creative type and the people who are creative may not know how to solve an engineering problem. So we have to kind of allow for this kind of collaboration, right? Bring about the tools that would allow someone who's creative to still be able to do something technical and make those, those connections, make those, um, hey, I, need, I know what I want to do but I don't know how to do it. Well, here's the tool that will allow you to do what you want to do, right? So that's, that's, I think, that's the way to make things, um, make things work in the future, right? I, I completely agree with you. And I feel that no code is the way ahead because it gives more freedom in the hand of those creative people who are not so, uh, you know, who are technologically challenged, you know. And, and and I think collaboration is the way ahead. Possibly COVID has kind of, uh, you know, created this, this urgency or importance or the need of us to collaborate. It, it has kind of made geography history, you know. Today, with the help of technology, with internet, you could be with any corner of the world, you know, but you can reach out to people and create value by collaborating. You know, you could create businesses. So I think collaboration going forward is going to be a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And at this point in time, yes, I mean, you know, you need more awareness about these technologies. We say that we are at the cusp of the new computing evolution, but people are working in silos and not completely driving the ecosystem you know if you see largely the awareness of what how how spatial computing is going to impact us is 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 being more pushed in countries like us america and china and but the other countries largely are not aware about how we're going to break the barrier of what we've been restricted for for the last 100 years, the 2D medium, and get into the 3D world. Now, just to make people understand that you will be, your web will be interactive, your web will be 3D. It, it, it's such a, 
uh, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing to kind of you know ex- explain so yes but in, in india also you know there are there are you know even small uh, like the, there was this school from kerala i believe who was leveraging augmented reality for education you know and and, and there are these small small use cases which i think should be pushed more so for my audience for the people for the layman who don't really know what spatial computing is you you did give a brief overview view on what spatial computing is but could you get delve a little bit more on spatial computing and how this new medium when is it coming what are the frameworks that's going to be around it and how is it going to impact consumers and enterprise uh, all tough questions <laughs> not easy to answer so um actually i, w- I will say uh, so i'll start off by like you you mentioned about um making it uh, like making it more important to work um across geography that kind of stuff right uh so i joined adobe about 6 months ago i haven't been to the office yet <laughs> i joined right in the middle of the pandemic so all my work has been done remotely facebook are um are basically allowing any of their employees who want to to uh work remotely except obviously for the ones and i think microsoft have that same policy now right you can work remotely um as long as you're not one of the you know people who need to be in the office for example if you're working on like you know confidential hardware or something like that but for the most part um you know most of their workforce can be remote now and most tech companies have basically uh i mean the pandemic forced them to be remote but i think even after um after the pandemic just because of this uh the pandemic kind of forced them to be remote and they kind of realized you know what it's actually pretty productive <laughs> the fact that people can work from home is actually pretty productive they were scared that people would just goof off and not do their work but it's actually the opposite because people get the time to do whatever they need and still be able to you know uh work very diligently so i mean obviously there's going to be exceptions but i think in the in the wholesale kind of uh factor i think remote work uh is going to be kind of like the the gold standard as we move forward right coming back to the question of what is special computing right so what is special computing it's um so currently what uh if you think about the different evolutions of computing we had like you know the mouse and keyboard and your your screen uh and then you had the the internet which was kind of like it's your screen it's your local thing but also your uh you know everything that is remote that you can just get access to on, in your fingertips like http that kind of stuff and then it was uh the the mobile revolution which is everything in your hand like you can walk around everything is ubiquitous you can you can you know you you have apps you have internet everything at the at the end of your hand essentially um so if you think about those kind of big movements in computing um you normally you sometimes don't realize that you're in one of those moments right and that's um 
what people are talking about spatial computing is that big movement, another, the next big movement of how computing would work, right? So um, the idea would be that everything around you is something that you can interact with, right? So instead of just a, a 2D screen on which things happen, uh, you can basically look around you and uh, that table there has some properties. So you can interact with that table, uh, not necessarily just a physical interaction, but you can have a, you know, like you can find out things about that table, maybe the history of that table by just looking at it. So essentially it's kind of like uh, the medium of your computing is going to be the whole world, like the whole 3D world. So everything around you is, is the computer. The computer is not just a keyboard and a mouse and a screen or a, a phone or, a, or the internet. It's going to be everything, right? So that's, uh, and, and for, that, for that to happen, you need some kind of um, way to kind of um, cover the whole world with uh, a network, really, or like a, a way to, you know, keep track of this information and update it and, and you know, sense it and, and transmit it so that people can, can, you know, alter it or play it in whatever way you want, right? So... That's what I was talking about earlier when I was saying the magic leap device is just a small part of what you need to make uh, a spatial computing real, right? The device only does part of the work. It allows you to display stuff and it does some of the sensing, but the, all that data that exists in the world is going to be what really drives the computing, right? So it has to exist outside of the device. The device is just, uh, is just uh, it's like a monitor, right? It doesn't have any function other than to show or maybe do some sensing, a uh, bit of sensing. But then most of that data has to come from uh, somewhere. It has to be stored somewhere. And that's what I'd call the metaverse, right? Right, right, right. So, so essentially, Anything and everything which is physical is going to be digital. Everything is going to be machine readable. We will be able to interact with those physical objects. We'll be able to learn from those physical objects, understand those physical objects and possibly create uh, a better way for those physical objects to serve us. So I, I think we're getting into a very, very fantastic world. Could you also delve a little bit onto the enabler technologies around it, like the sensors, the artificial intelligence, IoT, 5G? You know, what role is all of these technologies going to play as an enabler for spatial computing? The thing is what I was talking about before. How, how do these technologies interoperate? it's going to be very important because I don't think we have a good, we, we don't currently, have, unless it's something that, you know, I'm not aware of, we don't currently have a good, like, if you call it a mesh to bring all these things together. Right. You know, there's, no, there's no glue. There's no interoperability protocol. So that's what we need. Um, and that's some of the things that we need to figure out, right? Like, uh, for example, I think, 
So the stuff that you're talking about. So um, uh, one aspect is just, just you know, the AR devices, they're going to provide some information. There's like the AR devices themselves are kind of like things that have machine learning in them and they have all, all this kind of software in them already, right? Um, so for example, to do a SLAM algorithm, you do some kind of computer vision and you do some machine learning to figure out where you are in the world, that kind of stuff. So all that information can now be uh, sent up to, you know, to be saved somewhere. So you can basically scan your room and that scan could be part of the, you know, that basically contributes to a bigger scan that basically, or a bigger, uh, uh, the scan of uh, like, let's say you just walking through a mall, this, your scan of that mall might be contributing to hundreds or millions of scans that have already gone up from that mall. And then you just, you know, you have the, the ability to read that. And then the other part is the current scan only takes, um, we only, uh, the current way we look at things, we only have a, uh, a small subset of the actual information that we need, right? So for example, I mean, with the LiDAR scanner, you have a, a lot more information maybe. You have like the depth information as well, but you don't have, for example, um, object information, right? So you can look at it and you, you'll have the video of something in your background, but you may not recognize that. It, I mean, you will recognize it, but the machine does not know that that is a, a lamp, for example, right? It only knows that it sees something there unless you run some kind of, you know, computer vision algorithm or object detection algorithm. So all that can be done if you, if you send up this picture up to the, up to the cloud and some, you could have that happening in the background and then, you know, it figures out what an object is and what, what it is and you can provide information about it. Maybe you can look it up in a database you can, you know, you can, you can do things of that nature, right? Where things are, um, so all these, all these technologies come together to basically provide a kind of like, you have to provide a seamless experience, right? 5G comes in where you're, you don't have any, you know, you can send up some of this information in a much faster kind of uh, way. And then edge computing comes in where you could have some of these, uh, machine learning and computer vision algorithms sitting on the edge rather than having it to go all the way up to the cloud and come back kind of thing. So all these technologies can contribute to a very unified kind of spatial computing um, end game, except I don't think there is something that is actually meshing all these together properly. I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who said like, technology that's advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic, right? right, it's that, right. That's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to, right? <laughs> this is where we can mesh all these technologies together and they kind of work, just work in such a way that it, you, you are amazed. Right. You pointed out Arthur C. Clarke's code, you know, it, it's definitely good. Whatever is coming now is going to be indistinguishable from, uh, from, uh, uh magic. And, and, and that's, that's, that's the exciting part. You, you spoke about LIDAR, iPhone uh, 12 Pro has, uh, 
got lidar sensing capabilities on the phone and possibly that is going to play a a a role in kind of creating the spatial world today definitely we have quite a lot of uh, drawbacks and challenges with you know because it's 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 not completely uh in sync there are a lot of things that still needs to be stitched together kevin kelly i think from wired uh, said that uh, a spatial computing is still 20 25 years away but i think it is with the rate at which technology is growing i think it's definitely going to be much 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 far uh, uh, faster than that so so you you are with adobe at this point in time would you like to talk a little bit about project aero and how important is india market uh, for adobe is uh, also one more question is adobe looking at collaborating supporting the ar vr mr uh, developer content creator ecosystem here in india first of all i'm not here on on behalf of adobe so <laughs> i have to clarify that is a right, disclaimer right, i'm right, not speaking on right, behalf of adobe right 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 uh, as far as adobe is concerned uh, yeah i mean aero is i i, I think for me aero is a good platform for me to kind of work on because it has a lot of the the properties that I was um looking for right so the aim of aero is essentially to make ar development easy for just you know creative artists essentially right to make any anyone be an ar developer right and i think that that is a that's a great aim to have right so that someone who already knows how to use photoshop or someone who already knows how to use um uh, any 3d i mean even if you don't not use 3d application just 2d applications right like photoshop or or uh, spark or whatever it is and you can make some of that content appear in ar that makes it you know something that is as i said before you don't know where the next big thing is going to come from right these ideas need to kind of percolate need to have people come together and try to collaborate and try to f- figure things out and the more of these people that you have that can create these ar experiences the better it is so um that is essentially uh my aim with uh, aero is trying to make it the best platform so that as many people as possible can have access to ar um now as far as adobe's plans for india i have i really don't know much about that um but i think i mean adobe is a global company i think they have a very um actually their ceo is <laughs> is in <laughs> indian as well right uh, so uh, but i don't i mean i don't think they're uh, they they're a global company so they will uh they will try and you know uh, adapt things that are needed for for the indian market um i don't know i mean again this is just speculation on my part i don't have any <laughs> inside information about how adobe is going to market this for india if you'd seen some of the uh, adobe max presentations actually those uh the adobe max presentations are all uh online still so because this is a virtual event for the first time right we had like uh the biggest obviously the biggest you know <laughs> attendance ever if your listeners are interested in uh some of these aero uh interactions there there is a few 
um, Aero-specific uh, Adobe Max sessions that they can look at to see more about it, yeah. uh, find out more about it. This whole digitization, this virtual events, I believe it's it's going to open up huge opportunities. You know, I mean, us the, this COVID obviously had had its drawbacks. You know, I mean, there's millions who have been displaced. Uh, uh, the economy is down, but the other side is it also showed that how if us as humans could just lock ourselves for maybe even 20 days, the environment will be able to breathe better. There will be more family time. There will be more communication with each other as in, as in at home create a better environment and yes i think we've realized most importantly that we can be more productive working from home and i guess that's the reason companies such as microsoft and others have taken this leap of faith where they have announced that uh, they have given a work from home option forever for I think close to 60% or 50% of their staff. And it's only the engineers who are really needed and need to come. So, so there is this huge transformation is happening. So somewhere down the line, you have to actually thank this natural disaster, which if you see from a positive perspective, you'll understand there's a lot of good things here. it has brought into the society. Obviously, the entire digitization or the frontier technology which was on a creeping mechanism has also been accelerated thanks to covid you know and people have finally understood the importance of digitization They've, today i think anybody and everybody can be an entrepreneur sitting from any part of the corner of the world today Anybody who's got an internet connection, whether it's in the rural or the urban area, and who's got a desire and intent, can educate themselves and, and create businesses. And that's the power of internet. We are at the cusp of the spatial computing. I think in another 10 years, I keep on saying this, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I believe it so much <laughs> that you know, this is gonna this is gonna come. Our internet so far has been, you know, it's in a walled garden, you know, protected by uh, these big tech behemoths. Do you see a ray of hope with spatial computing? Do you think it's going to be decentralized with the help of blockchain and other technologies? Would that be a possibility? What are your views on something like that? Yeah, first to address the, the work from home thing. I don't think Microsoft said that out of the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> it was just proven to them that working from home is going to be productive, right? And so, uh, yes, we have to thank the pandemic that forced people <laughs> to, to come to that conclusion. But I think uh, it was just, um, they're using analytics. I mean, they're using basically data to be able to say that, hey, you guys can work from home right? Because they're actually more productive working from home. So in a sense, as long as, um, again, there are some companies that are not going to be productive working from home, right? Like, and that's because they're not set up to work that way, right? Right. So you have to, um, again, you have to handle 
those kind of transitions well to be able to do those kind of um, changes in in culture. So um, like people in in Silicon Valley had no problem, but then people in even in the U.S. in the East Coast, for example, a lot of the financial companies or the companies that are you know that are dependent on other forms of work. Um, which are not necessarily technical, are going to suffer, right? So, it's not a it's not a panacea. It's not like uh, everyone. Uh, and similarly, like you mentioned, like the family time and the and the efficiency of working from home. There's also the uh, contra indicator for that, which is you don't get to meet your friends. Uh, you know, you don't get to hang out with. Um, with uh, there's no camaraderie the office camaraderie is part of that collaboration thing that i was talking about you know um some of the the kind of like the office cooler talk right all that stuff really adds up to some uh sense of something bigger than i mean it's an intangible it's not something that we can really necessarily of uh, you know uh kind of quantify uh, right. But it is. I think it helps, kind of like the 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 environment, the the corporate environment or the the team environment to work better if you're actually together in one physical location. So there there is aspects of both sides that we kind of have to consider. Right. right. We don't necessarily right, right. like. And and the thing with the remote work during the pandemic, it was usually with teams that are already formed before. Uh, they had to work from home, right? They were formed in a physical location before they had to work from home. So maybe there is an effect of that. You know, they already had a team, but what what if we just keep forming teams that are always remote? Will that work exactly the same way? Will it work better? Will it work worse? We don't know. So those are some of the things that we have to kind of take into account. And then um, the stuff about whether it's going to be open that is a tough uh, tough one i don't think anyone has as i said like i don't think anyone has a solution for uh, what what i i think of as spatial computing which is you know a ubiquitous thing that basically um, provides context for any any interaction uh, in the real world there is no um, there's no turnkey solution per se. Every company is working on some aspect of it. It's unlikely that there's going to be one big player that controls everything. Uh, I don't say it's impossible. Again, these are these are just speculation, right? I mean, right, I think right. your speculation of ten years is also pretty much speculation. Right. What I am yeah. more interested in is trying to get to that goal you know trying to trying to remove the obstacles and try to get to that goal as well of a fashion as we can where we can try and um, make everyone have an equal say or like an equal footing when they start in this world of spatial computing um, but in a way I think if you involve yourself uh, you don't have to wait for uh, this this um, utopia to happen. 
You know, I think what we need to do is involve ourselves in aspects of it, build the building blocks ourselves. Like you can, you can be a, you don't need to build all the technical, you know, building blocks. You could still be just uh, every person has a role in this, right? Like you could be a creator and they could start experimenting with AR. You could be a, a marketer and you could, you know, start talking about all the different aspects of AR and how, or of spatial computing and how we, we should, you know, be able to interoperate with all these different, different pieces. Uh, if you are, uh, um, I don't know, if you're, if you're, an, if you're an engineer, you can always con con contribute to some of these AR SDKs or AR tools that'll help, you know, yeah, your collaborators to make something that's out of this world. So I think all of us need to kind of uh, build on this rather than wait for it, right? I think we need to build it ourselves. We, we, we are all, you know, we're all given that, given that mandate to build it. We don't, we don't have to wait for it to kind of um, come alive before we partake in it. Lovely, lovely. So I, I really think that, you know, it, it has to be a collaborative play. But, you know, if you see, humans have been reluctant to change. We are so traditionally driven. You know? <laughs> uh, anything new, we are apprehensive about it. You know, and I hope that we kind of break away from that borders, understand the importance of these tools, which can uh, play a huge role in human evolution. You know, if every one of us, whether it's the people from the creative field, whether it's the marketeers, uh, consumers, if they all come together and understand that there is this huge shift that we are on and COVID has kind of thrusted that and we, we changed our mindset and adopt the mindset of abundance and, uh, you know, see uh, the world through the lens, uh, you know, which is different than traditional, I think we will be able to create a better society and a better world. Uh, AR, VR, MR, these glasses, I think some of the biggest companies are working on building glasses, uh, you know, which, which I earlier pointed out, which will converge from a computer and, and, and your mobile into one uh, single wearable device. Now, these devices will have inside outside tracking what this will do is you know it will capture anything and everything a person is looking at what i'm trying to say is that this technology with us i mean though i'm invested in this technology i do understand that it's underpinned by surveillance technology what are your views on that and does this need do we need to have active conversation on this before it goes out of hand. Yeah. So actually, even when I was working on uh, Magicverse, this was like, uh, I mean, almost everyone is cognizant of that now. Like the privacy concerns, the security concerns, um, all those are, are uh, on top of mind of a lot of, a lot of people. So there is actually a few organizations. There's, there's an organization called, I believe it's called xrprivacy.org. They kind of, take this uh, to heart and they're basically trying to get all these AR, uh, XR companies to kind of, um, you know, make sure that they're 
they are thinking of this kind of issues as they're creating these um, these um, infrastructure essentially. Uh, and uh, I think that's needed both, I mean, I mean, as I was saying, like in Magic First, this is one of those things, like one of the things that you need to do is you need to send some, uh, like the, a picture of what you're looking at to the server for it to be able to localize. But you're actually not sending the whole picture. You're basically looking at the picture and figuring out the feature points from the picture. So you're locally in, on the device itself, figuring out certain parts of it. And then only sending like anonymized data to the to the server, just to provide the functionality that it needs. Right, the functionality we need is to localize, right, to a specific spot in the world. Uh, to do that, we don't need, you know, everything in that picture. We just need some information about some of the, you know, like what are the things that are nearby and what are what is the function, you know. So this will be similar to like the location privacy that you have, right? Like in, on your phone. On your phone, you can say, I don't want to provide my location to this app. So it, it should, the idea would be that you would have that same kind of control over, you know, you can, um, obviously the more information that you can provide to the system, the more features you can get. But then, you have to decide as a consumer and maybe you decide as a company uh, what features you want to provide without that privacy barrier, right? So, uh, and it's obviously, it's, um, it's the same with anything, right? On a phone, for example, if you don't provide your location, it's harder for the for this phone or like the system really to determine where you are. And therefore some of the features that are location-based are harder to determine, right? So uh, as a consumer, you get that choice. And I think similarly, that's what, that, that's the kind of choice we'd probably have to provide for right. um, XR devices as well. Or XR, I wouldn't say devices, I'd say like the XR system has to kind of make that choice. Right, right. Uh, similarly for security issues, for example, Let's say I go into us. Uh, um, I go into someone else's property, right? Am I able to see all the stuff that is the context that is associated with their property? Maybe I shouldn't be. So the person who owns that context should be able to control that, saying, "Hey, this is my property. That that is." Um, I have to say this is one of this is going to be one of the hardest problems to solve because um, how do we determine who owns a virtual space, right? <laughs> so we are basically saying that real space has got a virtual space associated with it. Who owns that? That how do so basically the person who owns the title deed for the house has to associate his virtual space with the real space. So. That is going to be a tough one, right? I don't know if any company wants to take that on. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, but there is there is certainly issues of that nature, right? Security of your your area, like can like for example, here's a 
here's an example. Can, if I, as an enterprise, uh, oh, I, I basically have my Walmart um, context, like all my, everything about Walmart in my Walmart store. And then someone comes in and puts a target ad on the Walmart store. Right? So that, that would be bad, right? For like, who's going to control that? Yeah. How do we, how do yeah. we limit that? Yeah, we we we, we get into yeah some really challenging space. I mean, what's gonna happen next is anybody's guess. I personally am super excited. Last question, Jimmy. I mean, I saw uh, Kichi Matsuda's uh, film Hyper Reality. Right? I was, I was amazed, amazed by it, and I also was scared by it. You know, because what this new technology can do to the world you know where the entire world is annotated you know where products talk to you it's obviously going to open up huge economical benefits for enterprises you know it, it's gonna ease up life for consumers but also i am scared about the privacy issues and, and, and so many other things as a developer, as a computer scientist, as a gamer, as somebody who's a leader in, in, in this space, what are you most excited for in the next five or 10 years? I think was trying to warn us rather than trying to think of something that is utopian. He was trying to warn us with his hyper-reality video, trying to say, this is not the future we want. The best kind of if you want to make something that is utilitarian, it has to be kind of out of the, it, does, it, can, it can't be in your face. It has to be out of the way and only, in fact, provides, you know, just-in-time kind of uh, focused usage as you need it, right? So I think that's, that's what the best technologies do. They stay out of your way until you need them. And then when you need them, you're, you, get, you get a really focused functionality and it gets, it gets done uh, immediately. So this is some of the things that um, a lot of people are thinking about. A colleague of mine at Unity, um, uh, Greg Madison, he's a futurist. He's, he's done a few of these concept videos where they're not actual AR, but uh, he's kind of, uh, kind of thought about what, AR should look like. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure and honor to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your insights. Really appreciate that. Sure. And yes, I, I think sure. we're living in a fantastic time. Yes, this technology should be more human oriented because in this 10 years, it is going to be transformational because all of these technologies are converging. It's not just AR, VR, MR, it's, it's artificial intelligence, IoT, blockchain. So all 5G, all of these are converging. Yes, it's definitely we are at the cusp of the spatial computing. We're going to enter the computer. We're going to uh, interact with the physical world. And that's what I'm excited about. But yes, we need to be careful. We need to create technology which is non-obtrusive, which is utilitarian. And I hope that's the case. And I hope we enter that uh, utopian world. That more, thank you. It was a pleasure and honor to have you on uh, XRM Podcast. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, baby.